This motherfucker is gonna be the death of me. Robot fuck. I invited him. <laughs> Anyways, welcome to another Beers, Bongs, and Battle Axes. I'm your host, Mike. Joined once again by Marcelo with two of our most favorite guests ever. Pinky Jesus himself, Josh, and the walking encyclopedia, Lathan. Welcome, guys. Mm-hmm. Hey, so happy to be back. Thank you. Every time. You have been missed, Kinky Jesus. You have been greatly missed on this podcast. You know, there are miracles to perform in every corner of the world. I'm glad to be in this corner this evening. And the body. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know if Marcelo filled either of you guys in, but... uh, We're reviewing Dune today. Well, we all know that, but me and uh, Marcelo... <laughs> I just killed them in, you're welcome. Me and Marcelo talked about it, and we're kind of doing this uh, more like we used to do the old podcasts when we still had The Office, where we'll get to the Dune review, that'll probably be the back half of this episode, but we're just going to shoot the shit for a while and talk about some current events and stuff that have been piquing our interest. Before we dive too deep into that, I wanted to ask, is there a way that we can figure out if everybody's audio is working? Because on the last episode I was on, the the Matrix trailer review, one of my favorite episodes yet, of course, uh, I couldn't hear Lathan. (laughs) Gee, I I wonder why it was one of your favorite episodes you were in. Well, doy, because I was in it. No, because uh, we were talking about Keanu Reeves, you know? Yeah. Uh, I remember what you were talking about, and that one was just a weird one because it also cut off, like, I want to say the last 15 minutes of the entire podcast. Yeah. And it's part of that is because Craig, the uh, robot that's recording these, is in beta, so they don't always record perfectly. Okay. Well, we'll just hope for the best, you know? All right. So we apologize to Lathan. We should... uh, we we should actually record uh, one that's just Lathan's part of that, and it's yeah, an and hour and a half of of Lathan. Uh, yeah, it's just an hour and a half of Lathan talking. Uh, another problem <laughs> would, with that is, as you know, Marcel, is Craig deletes things after like a week of giving you the link to download them. So even if we wanted to, we 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 couldn't get his audio anymore because that was well, no, not. I'm just saying we re-record it. Oh, and just have Lathan answer how he naturally would. Oh, yeah. And nobody else talk. I don't Lathan, think that I, I would, yeah, as well as you think it will. I think it's going to be great. I, I, I really do. Vacuum. <laughs> Wait, did you I say you suck like a vacuum or you suck in a vacuum? In a vacuum. <laughs> well, my hand ca- head cannon says you said suck like a vacuum. Uh, I'll leave it up to you and the fan artists. <laughs> 
<laughs> I wish we had a fan artist. I I don't want to know what cursed images they would draw from the shit we talk about. I want fan fiction. I know that sounds really sweaty. And like not the good kind of sweat. And all right, I'm in. Thank you. <laughs> That's what I thought. See, look, Nathan's already in. <laughs> not to talk too he gets much to shop, watch. <laughs> but when you do go to download the audio track from Craig, you can either get it mixed or you can download everybody's audio individually. And what I think I'm going to start doing is downloading the individual audio to hopefully not have another repeat of that Matrix podcast. I think that was like the only one where we had any trouble. Yeah, but that one also had like the most people that we've had in a Discord record of the podcast. How many did we have? Uh, I think it was all of us. And was Tyler part of that one? I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah, so we had like at least five people. and We don't normally have that many when we're recording. Right, for sure. Well, uh, everybody, everybody doing anything for Halloween? Sitting on my ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, going Mike? This, I'm going to this 311 thing tonight, I think. I, I don't know. I, I might not, but yeah, apparently Aww. the band 311 just uh, rolled through our dispensary today along with the owner of... Um, the Ogden or Cervantes or something like that. But yeah, apparently our owner knows the hookups with a bunch of different venues in Denver. And so they roll through, get a bunch of, you know, free weed basically. And we get a bunch of tickets. So it's kind of interesting. That's fucking awesome, man. Really is. I'm kind of jealous. Did you get to meet them at at all or no? To be honest, like, I feel like they, I had their openers and like their, their party managers or whoever the fuck. And the owner of the Ogden was definitely there, but I don't really know if any band, any members of 311 were there in the shop. Like, cause honestly, I don't, I, I know like two different songs from 311. I was going to say, can you name two members of 311? No, no, I can name <laughs> Amber and uh, beautiful disaster, and like that—that's all I know. Oh, and whiskey and wine. So I know three songs. Love songs, in, pretty good. In fairness, a lot of concerts I've been to, the opening acts have been better than the main show themselves. Fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, happened. I think a couple of members of that band were in the shop today. They're they're called denim, like the jeans, but I, I don't know them either. Well, you know, with the 311 cause, there's going to be a lot of fucking weed there. Yeah, why, yeah. Would you, why would you not want to go to that? The weed alone. The weed is probably more popular than the band. No, yeah, it'll be great to just, you know, chill out to some reggae vibes and get pretty ripped, you know. I guess that's my thing. That's a, that's a kinky Jesus approved activity. Hell yeah. <laughs> that's I was going to go say ahead, this. Bro. Oh, no, just... You have the band and the weed in the same room and people are just like, oh my god, is that Purple Kush? <laughs> <laughs> Not even care about the band. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, I, uh, you guys know we just performed, right? <laughs> Look at that weed, man. 
It's so beautiful. Yeah, can I get your autograph weed? Yeah, they're like asking the bud tenders for autographs. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I totally remember you from, uh, oh, what's that one weed cup we had? High Times Cannabis cannabis Cup? cup? The Cannabis Cup, thank you. (laughs) I can remember. That'd be great. Yeah, I remember you from Cannabis Cup 2018. I actually had a press pass to the High Times Cannabis Cup back in like 2014, 2015. Oh, I was working full time as an editor, and god damn, that was a good day. Oh, I've been meaning to ask that Roy Wood Jr. show you were at a few weeks ago. Is that the one that's airing on Comedy Central? Yes, it is. The one that I worked. It aired last night, actually, and I fucking forgot to record it. Oh, I didn't know it was last night. I thought there was going to be like a few months. I didn't know it was immediate. No, because I, I, I was telling you that I actually got to beat him while they were tearing down the stage and everything after the show. And he was just ch- talking with us, shooting the shit real, real cool to everything. And uh, the lady I was working for asked, like, so when's this coming out? In like a month or two? He's like, no, it's going to be out next week. Like with the way things are going these days, I wanted a quick turnaround because, you know, you do a stand up set. And then a couple weeks later, the material's not even fucking relevant anymore. That's true. Yeah, for those who don't know, uh, Mike actually did 10 minutes of stand-up opening for Roy Wood Jr. So he's, you he's on the special. Lie to them. He's, <laughs> he's on the special. Don't you need to you watch it immediately. It's, it's really good material. I worked and, crew for the show. and uh, yeah, That's yeah. what I'm talking about. You did a 10-minute set before anything, and you're on the show. No, I'm you told me this. You told me this in silence. I know, Late. but I, I know you want to be humble. Ladies and gentlemen, Marcelo Crowe's a fucking liar. <laughs> yeah, being dead serious. You're lying. I was outside for both of the sets that he filmed, yelling at people to have their vaccination cards ready and wear your masks and blah, 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 blah. Not glamorous at all. I don't hey, believe you. Like you guys had your shots today and everybody's laughing. Good show. I did make one or two jokes, but none of them really landed because I'm not that funny as much as I like to think that I am. I think everybody in our friend group is hilarious, and we should all start a comedy show together. A comedy troupe? I'm down. We can fucking send it. Don't you already have a comedy troupe, Mike? I mean, everything we we put out is done under the banner of ham-fisted entertainment, but we've never done like live shows or anything like that. Oh, I'm I'm mixed on live shows. I miss the stage, man. It's been well over a decade since I performed on stage, but I, I do fucking miss it. For um, you used to tap dance, right? Tap dance, musical theater, all kinds of shit. Live sex shows with the donkey. I was gonna say with women, but okay. That's what that. I remember you from. Nathan, <laughs> <laughs> shut up. <laughs> He's like, I was the donkey, remember? <laughs> he wasn't was the donkey, the donkey but he was the animal wrangler for a couple of shows. <laughs> Just wearing a, a cowboy hat and shit. <laughs> <laughs> now, does animal wrangler on a donkey show, is that a double entendre for penis? I mean, or is it literal of. donkey wrangler? A little bit of both. Depends on what the donkey has written into its contract. And it's true. You do have to give him fair pay. And you have to give loyalties to Wrangler every time you say the word Wrangler. 
Wrangler. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going down that jeans. route again. <laughs> well, all right. Well, now that that bit's kind of petering out, uh, yeah, just me and Marcel have been talking. Want to uh, just kind of discuss a couple things that have been going on in the news lately, specifically the ever-evolving shit show that is the uh, incident on the set of Alec Baldwin's new movie. Oh yeah, so tragic. It like, really. It, go ahead. Like I said earlier, I'm not surprised Alan ba- Alec Baldwin killed somebody. I'm surprised it was an accident. How about Alan Baldwin? Ah, yes, the sixth Baldwin brother. <laughs> Is there there five? I don't know. There's Alec. There's Billy. There's uh, Steven. Adam. Those are the only three I actually know. Steven. Oh, yeah, Stephen Baldwin. So there's four right there. I, uh, no, yeah, it's it's a sad incident, and it turns out the, I guess the, uh, not pro- production designer, but the one who makes sure that everything goes right. What, the assistant director or the, um, might the, be the armorer? A- might be the AD, might be the armorer, but apparently there were, like, troubles on the set that have been coming out. Yeah, there were several misfires on set before this woman was killed. Yeah, there it's it's pretty crazy. Apparently, like I guess the, the not only that, but people were complaining about actual um, like they were nervous about what was going on. Like they didn't feel safe. Like there were complaints that had happened before any of the stuff happened. I I mean, from everything I've been reading, just like the more time that goes on, the more complaints are added to the laundry list there already is. Because, I mean, there's been reports that several crew members walked off set the day of the shooting, like just hours before it happened due to poor living wages and safety concerns. Apparently, the assistant director has a history of complaints from other film sets because of his uh, lack of safety awareness okay. so it was the ad i thought um it was the i think you're right in saying the the it was the armor but okay it was the ad that's what i had heard but well, there's also some complaints about the armor too there have been some accusations that she wasn't the safest person on set and everybody likes to bring up that apparently on a podcast uh before this uh she was super nervous because apparently this is only the second movie she's ever done and uh partly one of the reasons she got the gig is because she's like daughter to the, like one of the biggest master armorers in all of hollywood oh i gotcha and apparently uh her lack of experience caused nicholas cage to flip the fuck out on her on the first set she worked on so <laughs> yeah th- this just seems like a perfect brew of sh- it for something like this to happen. Absolutely. I was going to say, there's definitely like a a monkey's paw effect going on there. I want to work on an Alec Baldwin movie someday. (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) Didn't they... uh... A lot of negligence, you know. That's the unfortunate part, is the negligence and like the lack of um just precautions that are in place to protect actors and stunt performers and all of that. I remember reading that they had fired like, uh, 
most of the union workers too. That wouldn't surprise me if this is because of apparently this was like a shoestring budget film. Uh, and it's also come to light that uh, apparently they might have been using the set weapons to fire live ammunition, like on their lunch breaks and stuff. They'd go out and shoot beer cans since they're in the middle of the desert. Oh, boy. And uh, yeah, no. Yeah. According to police reports, they recovered something close to 500 rounds of ammunition from the set. Oh. Uh, well, it some of those were blanks, some of those were dummy rounds, and they never really disclosed how much of them were like just full fledged bullets. Jesus. So this was just everything was just the perfect shitstorm, like you said. And I keep bouncing back and forth on. Like whether or not to be mad at Alec Baldwin and feel like he should be at least partly culpable, because for one, yeah, he is an actor and he was told that it was a cold gun, which is Hollywood terms for it's safe and nothing bad should happen. But at the same time, dude was an executive producer on the film, too, and producers basically fill the role of being the boss in terms of yeah they 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 do have input cr- creative input but uh yeah they're basically like the kindergarten teacher on the fucking playground during these shoots I just wish somebody checked that gun before pointing it at that woman you know i mean it doesn't matter if it's a cold weapon it doesn't matter if it's not even like if it's just a prop gun that the barrel is like uh, soldered over, or whatever, I, you still gotta like just be careful, you know. Like every time you're wielding a gun, for, like just act like it's loaded. And yep. if people just followed that rule at all times with guns, you know there wouldn't be issues like this. And before you point it at somebody, check at the chamber, check everything. And see that in that particular instance, the fault in that lies on the assistant director who said it was a cold gun because he did so without actually checking to make sure that there were no live rounds in the gun. The dude just assumed and said, yeah, we're good. The other thing is there should be zero, zero live rounds on a set of a film, period. Unless it's in the hands of some security officer, you know, like zero. Now, when you say live rounds, do you mean specifically like full fledged bullets or are you in the camp of we don't need to use blanks and dummy rounds anymore because of how far CG has come? I don't like that idea that we need to get rid of practical effects and if we can handle practical uh things like that safely then yeah go for it you know and maybe uh you know that that was that the case that this was another like blank that project out itself or was this a live round because i i heard i had read that it was a live round right uh you know i keep going back and forth on what i've seen on that um like there there hasn't been a lot of clarity on whether it was just like a full-fledged just bought from the gun store bullet or if it was more of a situation like what happened on the set of the crow 
which I don't know how much you know about Brandon Lee's death in that film. Uh, layman's, I, I know that that was a blank that accidentally, um, you know, shot out of that weapon. So that was definitely like an accident. It doesn't seem like there was too much negligence at fault there. Uh, so to go in, into a little more detail on Brandon Lee's, apparently what had happened was the scene right before they, uh, uh, before he was shot, they had been filming a close up of the revolver that kills him. And they had had uh, these types of rounds where it still has the bullet head on the cartridge, but oh. no fucking like not nearly enough gunpowder or something was done to the firing pin to actually project the bullet. <laughs> um, and so obviously it's close up and you see the trigger be pulled. So when the bullet was hit, like the either a chunk of it or the whole actual bullet became dislodged from the casing and stuck in the barrel. And so then they move on to the next scene where Brandon Lee actually gets shot. They fill the thing with blanks and the thing with blanks is they don't have bullet heads, but they have all the gun. Right. Well, not all the gunpowder, but le enough gunpowder to make it sound and look like a gunshot. And nobody checked the barrel, so whatever came dislodged from those other rounds from the close-up is what ended up firing at him and killing him. Ah, so there was some negligence there, yeah. Unfortunately, yes. Always, always clean your guns after you use them. Yeah. Indeed. So, yeah, in regards to Rust, like, there's been conflicting information about what actually happened with the shooting in and of itself. Like, was it just a chunk from another piece in that gun that went flying off, or did somebody load a full-on bullet into that thing and nobody bothered to check? Mm. Is there... There's going to be, like, a court case. Is there or no? Uh... There's, or we have to wait for like a report of some sort. I don't think any sort of charges have been filed as of now, but that's also because I think the police are still investigating every single fucking thing they can before they decide what charges they want to file. Well, I'm sure that's up to the family that, you know, suffered this loss and <sighs> we'll just have to see, you know, but I, I do hope that they're able to get some sort of, you know, I guess recompense or, or just something to help their family with all the costs of the funeral and just everything, you know, loss of time at work and just enough for them to heal. Right. I mean, honestly, whichever way this goes, I feel like the family deserves a payout big enough to, uh, you know, because she was a mother and everything, so enough to take oh, care yeah. of those kids till they're full grown and able to take care of themselves. Yeah, 100%. Not to mention, like, I, I really think that whatever payout will happen, um, they they could make, because sure, it's made on a shoestring budget, but same time, off of all this, you know that people are, there's interest in the film now more than there was, regardless of what's said. That's true, but uh, I mean, it's, do like, you I think know this movie even gets finished no. at this point, or do you think they're just uh, like, yeah, uh, scrap the fucking thing? Depends on how much of the movie was filmed. 
if it was 80% finished, I'm sure that they would definitely find a way to actually like release it, even if it's like VOD. Um, and not to mention, depending on what the movie is actually about, um, you know, you could go the whole Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus route to where it plays into the story and somehow not, not the shoot, not the actual shooting, but some, something to where the character is not there. You know what I mean? I understand you. I understand what you are like, saying. So. Like that's morbid to say. I, I I get that more than anything. But I mean, you know that with a a lot of stupid things that happen in Hollywood, they will find a way to publicize literally anything and everything, no matter how bad or good morally. Yep. Not to mention the yeah. number of films we have where people have died during the making and it still comes out. I mean, the crow is perfect example. Yeah. Twilight zone. Three people died in that. And that fucking helicopter crash. Two of them children. Yeah. That movie still came out. And they give like dead people Oscars, which I, I understand, but at the same time, why not just make like a donation to something in their name or help the family, something like that. Because it's a self lading aggrandizement. There's just look at, look at how progressive and how caring we are. Listen, guys, we gave this dead person an award. Everybody should be happy. We donated their swag bag to the children's hospital. That means some <laughs> little Billy with cancer is going to get a Rolex. <laughs> They're going to get a nice $1,500 gift card to the Maybelline store. You know, I don't know, uh, or I don't have much of an opinion on all of this story here, but... Uh, one thing I'd like to wonder is like, what is the state of mind that Alec is in currently? You know, like he's got to feel just absolutely torn apart. And I, I just wonder, I, I mean, that's enough to make a man stop acting. And yeah. I, I just oh, yeah. wonder how he feels. He there, would, he, I just, ahead. I apologize, but uh, he's, he would get charged with manslaughter. Am I, am I right in that? If they decide to file criminal charges, then yes. There, Possibly. I, I don't, I don't know. know. This might be like an unprecedented situation, but I feel like there must be some sort of contractual, uh, you know, thing, like an agreement that somebody is liable for situations like this. So somebody somewhere in the paperwork is liable for it. And that's the person that's going to be in trouble, you know, or the entity. Oh, yeah. But I, I don't know why it would necessarily be Alec Baldwin. I mean. Uh, at least from my basic understanding of it, I don't think Alec Baldwin, the actor, can really, if there were criminal charges brought, I mean, manslaughter is basically accidental death, right? Oh, uh, Yeah. Uh, so maybe in that regard, but I feel like any ch sort of charges he could face, uh, would come more from Alec Baldwin, the producer, since, you know, there is producers while the director's running the production and the artistic side of everything, the producer is still running the film set as a business. Yeah. He's in charge. He's making those decisions for both monetary and other 
Like, do we go with this guy as the armorer? Or do we hire this company? Blah, blah, blah. So Alec. So he was a producer the, on that? Yeah, he was also producing the film. Ooh. That's where I, I see any sort of repercussions for him would come from with my basic and not very smart understanding of the whole situation in the business as a whole. Yeah, because I just wonder if... I mean, I do feel that there are obviously some... If not charges, something is going to happen. Because, like, if if there were complaints that happened beforehand and everything, then something obviously needs to be done. Yeah. And, and exactly why the producers, I feel like, are more likely to get in trouble than... Alec Baldwin is just an actor because, okay, somebody's complaining, somebody might need to lose their job. That is where the producers come in and they'll either say, all right, yeah, we'll fire him. It'll set production back a little bit. We'll find somebody new or no, we've already spent too much time and money. He stays. Let's just keep working. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm curious as to what's going to happen because it happened uh a week ago two weeks ago uh about a week and a half two weeks ago at this at the point of recording this and i feel like every time i turn on a, the news i fucking hear more updates to the whole situation i'll uh i'll check to see if there are any mm, very good i'm sorry to start uh today off on such a somber somber tone friends it's just uh, been reading and thinking about this whole situation a lot as horrible it is as it is, it is kind of fascinating to read about. Yeah, yeah I mean, and it's in our relevant industry. I mean, uh, you guys on the podcast are always talking about film and uh, you both have worked, you know, sort of in film or are working on films currently. And so it's like, it's important, you know, that we talk about stuff like this in our industry, you know? Uh, so Baldwin was on camera and he said, uh, this was as an as of an hour ago, I've been ordered by the sheriff's department in Santa Fe. I can't answer any questions about the investi investigation. I can't. Uh, it's an active investigation. A woman died. She was my friend. The day we arrived yeah. in Santa Fe to start shooting, I took her to dinner with Joel, the director. We were a very, very well-oiled crew doing a film together. And then this horrible event happened. Baldwin also said he talks to cops every day as they continue to investigate the shooting. I'm cooperating with them, he said. And then yeah. the, the armor actually broke her silence. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, this was yesterday. Uh, through her attorneys, the 24-year-old uh, who was at the center of the investigation uh, shared her side of the story for the first time about the fatal shooting. Um, when uh, sorry, shared her side of the story for the first time about the fatal shooting of the film's director of photography, uh, Hal Halnya Hutchins, by Alec Baldwin when he was rehearsing with what he had been told by Halls was a cold or safe gun. Previously, only comments uh, the armor Guti Hannah Gutierrez Reed um, made to authorities were re released as part of a search warrant filed in the investigation. Uh, the statement is, first, Hannah would like to extend her deepest and most sincere condolences to the family and friends of Halnya. I hope I'm saying that right. 
Um, I think I've heard it produce, uh, pronounced Helena. Helena, then. There you go. She was an inspirational woman in film who Hannah looked up to. Uh, she also offered her thoughts and prayers for a speedy recovery to Joel. Hannah is devastated and completely beside herself over the events that have transpired. The statement went on to address some untruths that have been told to the media, which have falsely portrayed and slandered Gutierrez Reed. Safety is Hannah's number one priority on set. The statement says, ultimately, the set would have would never have been compromised if live ammo were not introduced. Hannah has no idea where the live rounds came from. Uh, it continued, Hannah and the prop master, previously identified as Sarah Zachary, uh, gained control over the guns, and Gutierrez-Reed never witnessed anyone shoot live rounds with these guns, and nor would she permit that, it said. The guns were locked up every night and at lunch, and there's no way a single one of them was unaccounted for or being shot by crew members. Uh, Gutierrez-Reed seemingly confirmed reports there were two accidental discharges prior to Baldwin, uh, who was rehearsing a scene with what he had been told was a cold gun shooting Hutchins. Plot thickens. Yeah. Huh, that's interesting because that that statement seems to say, yeah, everything that you've read so far is utter okay. bullshit. Here's the rest of it. Hannah still to this day has never had an accidental discharge. The statement said first one on this set was the prop master and the second was a stuntman after Hannah informed him his gun was hot with blanks. Uh, Gutierrez Reed claimed the independent film set was unsafe, but said it was not because of her. Hannah was hired on two positions on this film, which made it extremely difficult to focus on her job as an armorer, the statement said. She fought for training, days to maintain weapons, and proper time to prepare for gunfire, but ultimately was overruled by production and her department. The whole production set became unsafe due to various factors, including lack of safety meetings. This was not the fault of Hannah. Uh, Gutierrez Reed attorneys Jason Bowles and Robert Gorenz will address more of these rumors and the whole incident next week. Hmm. And and then it just goes on to say that how the live ammunition got to the set of the Bonanza Creek Ranch is at the center of the investigation. Santa Fe County Sheriff's Department or office said Thursday. So are Gutierrez Reed and Halls the two people who are supposed to check any weapons before giving them to an actor? Um, and then it just goes on to say it, it just pretty much resays what it just said. Wow. Nightmare of just I don't know. It, it it sounds like it's pretty chaotic trying to figure out all of this. It is. But it, no matter whose side of the story you believe, there's no way this comes out just being a tragic accident. Somebody royally fucked up. Yep. I'm looking too at like what kind of like budget they were doing stuff with. Yeah, it looks it really does not look like they had either much money or they were really tight on what they wanted to do with this movie. Because the, the plot for Rust is it's a Western and it says a 13 year old boy left to fend for himself and his younger brother following their parents' deaths in 1880s Kansas goes on the run with his long estranged grandfather after he's sentenced to hang for the accidental killing of a local rancher. Yeah, that sounds. That sounds like it's not going to be a very expensive movie. Yeah. It's just, it's it's all of the all of the um, stuff to make it look timely is my guess, right? And what they obviously want to do with it because 
you know, I guess if they're leaving the stuff alone and they're not like any action set pieces, then yeah, that. But yeah, I mean, anything that's not set in a current time period, then yeah, you really need to have fucking meetings. Considering like there's no office space, there's no, it's, it's, uh, I don't want to say extreme environments, but it's a much different environment than, you know, than your usual offices and trailers and stuff like that. You basically got everything set up under tents in the middle of the fucking desert. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much almost a construction site you're, you're going to be working in. And I don't, I, I don't know how hot New Mexico is the time of year that they were shooting. But I'm sure it wasn't all that comfortable. Especially not in period-appropriate clothing. I will say, given everything you just read, it does sound like it's on, uh, a lot of the fault is on the producer's end. Definitely. Definitely. Some... Um, go ahead, Marcel. Oh no, go go right ahead. I was just gonna say it's gonna be interesting to see how this develops. Oh yeah. Yeah, completely agree. I I just hope they get somebody is held accountable instead of what tends to happen with Hollywood is shit just gets swept under the rug. And by the way, not uh Like I was saying earlier about how the film is probably gathered like a lot of publicity since the story came out. Uh, popularity on IMDb number eleven out of uh, one thousand nine hundred eighty-eight films. Jesus yeah. Christ! So Ooh. I feel. Go uh, ahead. No, I was just gonna say I feel like if there's any legal charges, which I'm, I think that there, there might be because of how much has been said about negligence uh, more than anything it feels like they have to release some sort of film just to possibly you know maybe sort of have a career of any type ever again to even be, be able to pay for whatever damages yep god could you imagine having a master armorer's job for a fucking Hollywood film at the age of 24 that's what I was going to say. Like, I, I'm not trying to say like you're by your age or anything. It is just crazy that she is that young and she is an armor. I just, like, I, I know at 24, I wouldn't have been responsible enough for a fucking job like that. I'm not saying she was being irresponsible. Like if the evidence points to, she did her job and she's not culpable for what happened then I, what I'm saying is I'm fucking impressed that somebody that age can excel in a position like that. Because that doesn't sound like an easy fucking job. It sounds very fucking stressful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, if that's what you're going to do, that's that's great. But I wonder how many films she's actually, you know, worked on before. Because I just remember you saying how... Uh, it it seemed like a money connection of sorts with her dad owning some stuff. Uh, from what I remember reading, Rust was her second film. The first one being one with starring Nicolas Cage that I don't remember oh, the name boy. of. Yeah, oof. But I I don't know. I mean, you know, if every if everything was accounted for, everything was locked up each night, then 
yeah, it's trying to figure out how the live ammunition snuck in. Well, uh, shall we go on to June then? Uh, sure. I, I just want to say if, uh, if there's ever another remake of uh, Death Wish, you know, you got an actor. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I don't I don't know how to do somber transitions into other topics. So you were actually kind of saved the day with that one. <laughs> I was like, how do we move on from this? I did. The, the, yeah, exactly. I get Bruce Willis. You now have Alec Baldwin. You have an action star right at the helm. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> and he seems like he could carry the spirit of Charles Bronson better than <laughs> Bruce Willis. Eat it, punk! <laughs> I just yeah, I'd put Alec Baldwin in like the shittiest wig imaginable, and then <laughs> and the shittiest mustache imaginable. Yeah, there you go. I don't know why I was about to do Dirty Harry, but I, <laughs> I can't think of Death Wish at the moment. That's Clint Eastwood, I think. It is. John Wayne? Should... No. <laughs> well, I don't know about John Wayne. Hey there, Pilgrim. <laughs> do you feel lucky, Pilgrim? <laughs> well, do ya? Probably asking yourself if I shied five or six. Can you count Tonto? <laughs> God damn it, Marcelo. <laughs> Punk. <laughs> Alright, seriously, let's talk about some fucking Dune now. This is what we're all here for. This is. Oh, yes. Let's do it. Uh, shall we let the lore master Lathan give us a rundown of what this the basic plot synopsis is for this movie? Oh, fuck. I didn't prepare for this. <laughs> Chaos. Hey, quick question. You know how they brought back Tupac at Coachella like years ago? You think they should yeah. do that with like uh, older actors? Like, I'd like to see John Wayne and just everything. No, no, I don't like that. Not one bit. Definitely not. <laughs> I'd love it. Just John no. Wayne. And we could do. We could use that to do a remake of Superbad with a. Uh, John Belushi as Michael Sarah's character. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I, I got one. We uh, we superimposed John Wayne into Han Solo. <laughs> Ooh, I, I'd like that actually. Same person. That'd be yeah, that'd be terrific. What about uh, John Wayne in Training Day? My cowboy. <laughs> King Kong ain't got shit on me, partner. <laughs> I'm just so a young dude. rookie. <laughs> so, dude. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this film seems to be about um, the Atreides family being beckoned by the emperor of the uh, space. I forgot the name of their group. Harkonnen. Um, 
No. No, uh, the, Hark- the Harkonnen are their enemies, but... Oh, yeah. There's there a is, reason. Um, there isn't really an actual name. Well, they do name them in this movie, though. It's, they name the Emperor, uh, yeah. No, but they name... Uh, there's a group of people that greet uh, the Atreides family as they arrive on Arrakis. And they're called uh, the Space something. It's not Council. It's not oh, like... the Spacers Guild. Yeah, there you go, the Spacers Guild. That's Those... an entirety. That's an entire separate entity from the actual government. That's why we have okay. Lathan, guys. Well, they were there on behalf of the Emperor, and yeah. like them, and they were also there on behalf of the. Uh, I forget how to pronounce this word, but it's the uh, ladies that are sort of breeding the oh, one. Deseret. Say that one more time. Uh, let me. I have the book like right here, so let me. Yeah, it's something it. So, you guys, this is why we bring Lathan. Ben Jesseret or something. Yeah. Bene, Bene Gesserit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're so like, they're a religious organization of some sort. But anyway, so the Spacing Guild, the Bene Gesserit, uh, represent, representatives of the Emperor and some representatives of the Fremen people who are native to Arrakis are all there to greet the Atreides family as they like arrive uh they were called on by the emperor to be the stewards of arrakis because um the harkonnens who had ruled arrakis for i believe 80 years they said uh were all of a sudden called away by the emperor and um they just left and we find out in this film that the Emperor has a plan, almost like a Trojan horse-esque, like, uh, betrayal. Um, this gift of Arrakis was actually a gift of death. He set them up for failure against the Harkonnen and the, um, it's an S word that describes the Emperor's personal guard or his military or whatever. Uh, but he set them up. And so this, this part, one film is about them being set up, them being slaughtered, and then uh, Paul, the heir to House Atreides, and his mother, um, a very powerful Bene Gesserit, um, flee while the Duke of House Atreides is killed, unfortunately. But we kind of just leave off at the end of the film with them meeting the Fremen, um, the natives to the planet, and Paul decides that he does indeed want to follow in his father's legacy and free the people of Arrakis from Harkonnen and empirical uh, rule, I'm assuming. Right? Yeah, that about sums it up. It's very succinct, my friend. Thank you for that. Yep. 
Um, well, gentlemen, what were your general impressions of the film before we get into the guts of it? Um, as a whole, I, I really loved it. I, I have not been so like enthralled in watching a movie since, uh, since Tron legacy is what I had said to one to where, like, I really do want to go back and actually watch it again in IMAX and just kind of get lost in it. And, and just like be stuck with the film because like there was just so much that was on the screen. I seriously love the way you describe that, like stuck with the film or uh, engrossed or uh, enamored, whichever word you use. But um, uh, that's okay. Enthralled. One of those E words, you know. <laughs> Energized. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I love what you said about that because I was I was going to say the same thing. Like just like. Um, a new hope or just like the first season of game of thrones or uh, like you said tron legacy or the matrix just any or lord of the rings you know like there are certain atmospheres and environments and settings and just world building that is it feels almost uh, for lack of a better term like otherworldly or ethereal like it's very not like earth and I feel like this adaptation of Dune immediately had me feeling like I was not on Earth, like these were not humans of our time, like I'm being whisked away someplace else. And you can yeah. tell, like, it's kind of cliche on the Internet because I've, I've watched a few reviews and it's cliche on the Internet that people are saying, oh, it's like Game of Thrones in space. Well, what they don't understand, what they're not acknowledging when they say that is that this property, uh, these books, they inspired Game of Thrones. They inspired Star Wars, George R. R. Martin, George Lucas, you know, all of these fantasy and sci-fi writers of the last, you know, however many decades. This was one of the greatest inspirations of sci-fi and fantasy of all time. And there are bound to be similarities. And I think it does feel like that, like the first season of Game of Thrones or like the first trilogy in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. And and also, too, I just want to say, like, the the way you can tell a movie does that is just because it shows you the uh, rules of the world that it's in. It doesn't tell you. It doesn't say, oh, this, this, and this. Like, it literally took the time to actually show you in, like, character-building scenes or stuff that moved along the plot. Like it showed you how dangerous everything was and what they had to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Oh God. Yeah. And, and like the first trilogy of star Wars works best, I think out of the, the three trilogies that they've done because it shows and doesn't tell. I mean, there are, there's so much deep lore in star Wars that you can, if you want the nitty gritty, you can dive into the books, you can dive into the comics and the shows but if you want the, the magic, the feeling, you know, the, the mystery of it all, you go to that first trilogy, you know, or y without learning all of that detail in a sort of cumbersome way. Whereas this Dune, it does the same thing. It's pacing for being two and a half hours and having this much exposition. Its pacing is incredible. Oh, it's like, low. I never got bored. Yeah. And when it was over, I was like, that was two and a half hours. No, completely agree, man. I never, 
sometimes when like I'm in the middle of a movie, I tend to check my phone. And in Dune, I didn't even start doing it, and then I realized there was like ten minutes left. Yeah. Um I admit that it kind of didn't work out like that for me because I realized that the movie was going past where I was in the book. So I was like, no, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I was so pleasantly surprised because I've attempted to read Dune a couple of times in my life, um, both times in audible. And so like, Dune is just a really hard book to listen to. You know, it's something that is so dense and so dry at parts because there is a lot of exposition and world building that I just could not listen to it and get into it. Um, So I kind of went into this not seeing the old movie, not reading the books. So I was fresh. And I, I knew that the problem with bringing this series to the big screen was that there is so much involved in the universe of Dune that it's like, well, where do you bring us in? How much information do you give us versus showing us and leaving a mystery? You know, like how many things do you leave out? How many things do you keep in? And they, they have like little tiny hints. Uh, as I watched it the second time, I realized that there are just little hints and little things that they say that really give you a sort of, they open the door to all of this deeper lore, but they haven't fleshed it out yet. And I, I like that. It's like the hook, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely completely agree. Mike, Lathan, one you guys. <laughs> Apologies. Uh, I've just been Mike. sitting fascinated listening to you guys talk about this movie. <laughs> and. I I will admit that I'm a lot more on the fence with uh, a lot of your guys' points, and the more I think about it, the more I think of it, it's just me being a grumpy old man. No, please. Because, like, what you're saying with the, the hints at the deeper lore, and, you know, it not feeling like a two-and-a-half-hour movie... A lot of that's me saying I wanted more. Like I don't, I don't, I. Thanks to large part to Marvel specifically, I will say I, 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 I've grown to really miss getting movies that can serve as just a single movie without having to be part of a larger universe and i understand that yeah dune was always going to be this in film form multiple parts with a lot to it i still just wanted more more self-containment because i would say that like in all honesty and i don't think this is a bad thing personally but in all honesty i don't really think a whole lot happened in this film you're absolutely right about that yeah, like not not plot wise, but a, not a whole lot really happened in A New Hope either, to be honest. And I, it's still my favorite Star Wars film because it like it seeded this desire for more. It seeded this desire to not only get more from the source. I want to know more about Dune from the source and from the films and the book and all this now. 
but I want to create in this universe. I want to, I'm inspired to like think like what kind of people, what kind of powers, abilities. I mean, they're talking about breeding a perfect being to bridge the gap between space and time. Like what the hell does that mean? You know, like that's more interesting to me than even the force was when I first saw star Wars, you know? So like, I would say that doing what they did with less is better than like how I feel about some Marvel movies doing too much. Like I'd rather want more than want less, you know? I think my, my real complaint is especially with this series, like, so I'm hesitant only because it's it's a strong fucking start to what's going to basically become a franchise if it keeps doing this well. I feel like I I want to see if they can stick the landing before I start praising it is how I feel. Because th- if this thing makes a lot of money, then money-hungry executives start sticking their fucking beaks into the creative process and shit can get fucked up real easily. Yeah, that's only a matter of time. Yeah. (laughs) I do feel that sentiment, but I also think it might be a bit hasty on the cynicism. That's just just how I'm built. But don't take any of this as... Because I did enjoy the movie. Like, I think all the performances are great, and you're right, it definitely makes me want more. I just felt like we could have gotten more in this movie as well. Just a little bit oh, more. Yeah. A little bit more to scratch the itch. Yeah, it, with the pace being as quick as it is, I mean, they do really well by choosing which scenes to show you. I mean, they didn't have to show us the sword training scene, um, but they did in order to really, you know, give us an idea of like, okay, Paul has never been battle tested before. And um, I forget his name, uh, but Josh Brolin's character has fought the Arconans. Yeah, and so when Gurney holds him and and Josh just gets super fucking serious and he's like, you don't understand, they're not human, they're brutal, you know? And he's like shaking him like that. That scene might not have been necessary, but they chose that scene because it is one of those things that's like, oh, shit. I want to know more about the Harkonnens now. I want to see how brutal they are. And as they start to reveal that, you know, it, it just gets more and more intriguing. I mean, I, I want to see more of this, um, the Baron. He's a fucking cockroach of a man, you know, a monster. He's creepy as fuck. That's for goddamn sure. I like that sword training scene personally, because it's a really good bit of world building, because in one short scene, not only do you get this conversation about the Harkonnens and everything, but it sets up how combat works in this world. Like, how the yeah, shields yeah. work, where when he says the slow blade uh, gets through the shield. Yeah, it's interesting. I looked that up. I was like, why doesn't anybody use guns in the future? And I, I looked it up, and apparently this shield technology um, pretty much helps against, uh, like... I don't know, some laser projectiles or something that were standard in the universe, and now most people fight with blades, or I, I don't know if you could shed some light on that, Lathan. 
Uh, I haven't really, they haven't really explained that where I'm at in the book. So, okay. How I've seen it described on Reddit is apparently with things like las guns, um, with like the speed and frequency and the fact that the laser is a can or a continuous beam and not just like a burst fire. Uh, uh, for whatever reason, the shields basically turn it into one big super explosion that's bad for everybody involved, the person firing the laser and the person being protected by the shield. And so that everybody's like, okay, nobody wins when we do that, so let's just go ahead and use... go back to swords and fucking melee combat. No, I like it. I, I definitely do. And, like, the fact that there are straight-up mages in this world, too, like, time mages and shit, like, I, I'm just so invested already just by this little taste. And and that's why I'm like, I knew it was part one going into it. I knew this was going to be just an appetizer. And the only thing I knew about it was, like, from the first trailer and from what I've heard about the books and just people saying that this is part one, don't expect to feel satisfied at the end. And that's, like, all I went into it knowing and feeling. Yeah. That's kind of my only flaws with this movie as well is just that like anything I feel is like missing or lacking, I don't know if I can blame because it's part one of a bigger story. So it's kind of like I'm for what I've seen, I love the hell out of it and I can't wait to see more, but I the the flaws that I see in it, I I don't know if it's right to judge it on that uh so i'm trying to better explain my wanting more in this context point and uh going back to josh earlier comparing this like season one of game of thrones when i want more is see with like game of thrones is we get everybody's viewpoint which i know can get muddled but it also gets you invested on like okay why is the emperor trying to kill House Atreides, and I know there's, like, one or two lines of dialogue that explains it, but in, like, Game of Thrones, we would see that more of that other side of the coin of why does the Emperor want Atreides killed, because for all, all intents and purposes, they seem like competent, loyal servants of the Emperor. Well, the, um, the Harkonnens were talking about that. The Baron and his, I believe it's his, um, his nephew or something? Can you guys hear me, by the way? Yes, yeah. we can. Okay, cool. Yeah, something weird is going on with my headset. I'm working it out. But uh, the uh, Batista's character is there. It's like a little nephew. Um, yeah, and he's right. Like, Him uh, and Dave Batista's character and that like skinny guy that's always yeah. not far from Baron Harkonnen. That's they are bad. Or um, they may not be brothers, but they are both his nephews. Okay, yeah, because they're brothers or cousins at one point. Batista asks the Baron, he's like, why would the Emperor take uh, Arrakis from us and give it to House Atreides? Uh, just give him this gift that we've, uh, you know, had control over for so long. And the 
Baron asked him, he's like, well, when is a gift not a gift? And he's basically, he says that the, the emperor is a jealous and dangerous man. And that House Atreides is rising, or he said something about their voice growing in power or something like that. And so it seems like House Atreides was gaining so much like favor or following or resources to rival that of the emperor. And the emperor used the Harkonnens to squash that immediately. And obviously, um, the Baron is actually sort of afraid of the emperor, I feel like, or he has some sort of history with the emperor because he seemed kind of distraught. He was rubbing his head in frustration when he said that he's a jealous and dangerous man. And, um, I, I just think that either they have a deal with the emperor of some sort or the emperor holds some sort of power over the Harkonnens, even though the Harkonnens are said to be more wealthy than the emperor. Yeah, I, I, I definitely remember all that from the movie. And I guess my wanting of more is like, well, I want to know more about this emperor. Like, just knowing that he is uh, jealous and, uh, you know, kind of a dick. I was like, but why? Well, what, what's, what's going on there? Well, well, it makes me just want to know more about the universe as a whole. Oh, great. Yeah, they didn't show you Darth Sidious and New Hope. Did they even mention the Emperor in A New Hope? Yes. I feel like... They did? It's been yep. so long since I've seen those When movies. Tarkin and Vader walk into the council room on the Death Star, Tarkin is talking about how uh, it took him 19 years, but the Emperor finally managed to disassemble the Senate in a legal way. Oh, fuck, you're right. Thank you, Loremaster. We appreciate you. No Again, problem. these are just the ramblings of a grumpy old man. I really did like the movie. Um, I will I'll say, say it, yeah. that um, the Atreides are cousins to the Emperor. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, that, that's interesting that you say that, because I, I don't know if they've changed something, but um, the Baron calls, um, I forget Oscar Isaac's character's name. Yeah. Leto, yes. So the Baron actually calls Leto cousin. As he's dining at his table, he says, you do have a fine kitchen cousin. And he's talking to Leto. And I may have watched an info dump video about how um, the Baron and... Uh, I forget her name, but Paul's mother uh, are somehow related. Uh, Lady I, Jessica. Yeah, I wasn't gonna bring that up because I get the feeling the movies are gonna use it as like a Darth Vader style reveal. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. since you've but since you've said it here, um, wait, Lady. Go. Lady Jessica is Baron Harkonnen's daughter. Yeah, okay. Well, now I can't see the next movie. You guys all ruined it. Right. 
<laughs> uh, bringing up Lady Jessica does bring the one genuine complaint I have about this movie is I love Rebecca Ferguson ever since I saw her as Rose the Hat and Doctor Sleep. Yeah, but it bothers dude. me to no end that she whispers her way through this entire movie. And um, I had yeah. Lady Jessica in this movie is one of two major problems I have with it. Explain. Uh, she is not like that in the book. What is she like in the book? Um, basically everything how you would expect expect the lady of a house to act, and uh, like. You know, in a lot of this, there's only one scene where she actually like cries in the book, from what I can tell, and it's when they're in the tent together out in the desert. Well, that kind of sucks, though. Like, I kind of like the idea because there's a lot of family dynamic in this movie as well, and I feel like if Lady Jessica's character um, was detached from that emotion, it just would not feel... Um, I don't know. It wouldn't feel right. It wouldn't feel genuine. One of the major things they've left out from the book is um, all the members of House Atreides have this really regal persona. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, the book is written like everybody's introverted. So as the point of view passes around, you realize that um, everybody deeply cares for each other, but they have a public image to maintain. Especially in a time of transition, like where the movie and book take place. I kind of picked up on that. Like there are small connections between the family members that create this dynamic that like, cause I mean, they pretty much all of house of Trades is fucking dead now. Um, and that happened so quickly. It felt like we didn't get a lot of time for these characters to interact and develop relationships. But I do think that we got enough, like for me at least, cause there are moments where you see um, Charlemagne uh, or, or Paul, you see Paul looking at Leto in just this absolute admiration or like he's learning from him, you know, and he, he wants to be him. And mm-hmm. the short moments they had together were exactly that. And uh, then he has moments with his mother, of course, that were much more emotionally charged. And you almost feel like he... He definitely doesn't want to fall into his fate. He doesn't want to believe it. He doesn't, I mean, he does, he's starting to now and he's starting to let go. But at first he didn't want to believe it. And he almost took it for, or not took it for granted, uh, resented it. He even yelled at his mother that he's a freak because of her, you know? And um, I, I think I'm glad that she's the one that lived so we can have their relationship develop. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the weird thing about that, um, because they shuffled some stuff around, like, mm-hmm. uh, in the book when he's like screaming at her, you made me a freak, etc. That's when he tells her 
he knows she's pregnant because in that moment he's seeing past, present and future all at the same time. Yo, that's another thing. What Paul is seeing isn't necessarily set in stone the way he's seeing it. It's almost like he's getting some jumbled puzzle pieces and he's getting a sort of voice that's guiding him and telling him what the essence of what he needs is. But the future he's seeing isn't always what actually happens. I mean, he saw himself die. He even mentioned but that it wasn't my death. I know that a blade is important and that it will be given to me. And then later he sees a vision of a friend guiding him through the desert. And in fact, that friend, quote unquote, was the person that he had to kill in order to prove himself to the Fremen. And uh, he also heard the voices say that Paul Atreides must die for the, uh, the, the one, the chosen one, whatever that word is, to rise. And he didn't have to die just yet, but he did, uh, in a way, a part of his innocence died when he did have to kill that man. So it's like some of these visions are more allegorical and some are more practical, I think. that That's one thing like I don't particularly care about with the movie and its themes. They <laughs> lean more hard into... Um, Paul being a messiah more than Paul being a good leader like the books lean towards well apparently later on in the books um, and again I don't want to get into spoiler territory but like it seems like um, fanatic uh, religion uh, or like fanatic religious people uh, just the the idea of fanaticism, um, it sort of is a major theme of the book, like how religious fanaticism can turn in on itself and be self-destructive, you know? Right. And I feel like Paul's vision of, uh, like when he freaked out on his mom, uh, he had a vision of a... He said a war spanning the galaxy or spanning the universe or something with people worshiping at his father's skull and chanting his name. And I feel like he's giving us a sort of taste of, you know, how dangerous religious fanaticism can be. And his self-doubt in, his, in him being this messiah is our doubt as an audience as well. Like, it, are these people just blindly following this? Are, are the Bene Gesserit, are they good or bad? I mean, they sound like they're actually, like, really fucked up. Like, they've been breeding bloodlines in order to create this one perfect person with all this power. They've been killing the people that have the power but aren't... Um, like stern enough or courageous enough to wield it or focused enough. It, it, they're kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah. That'll be something we have to see later on down the, down the line. Cause I don't, I don't have the answers to those questions. Yeah. I, it's amazing to me. I, I honestly think it's m more interesting than the movie is just how many, 
science fiction and fantasy properties I can already think of in my head that have the stamp of Dune on it in some story element or another. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like we're talking about the Jedi Order right now, or we're talking about, you know, the different houses and thrones. Yeah. Not just that, but I mean, a war that spans the entire galaxy. Uh... A, a god emperor. That's Warhammer 40k to a T. Yeah. I, I, uh... Excuse me. Uh, I just also want to add how... the One of the things that I just had trouble with in the movie was how some of the things seemed a little rush, and I just wish that they would have, like, let go a little longer. Like, uh, when Paul finds the the tribe uh, with the people, and then he has to fight the guy, like, how that one guy was just... Uh, I sorry, I can't remember names, but he was very. Uh, he wanted to challenge Lady Jessica, and he was just very like. He was adamant about it, and it just it felt like it kind of came out of nowhere. I I know that it didn't, but it just it seemed very rushed to me. Yeah, I, yeah, I just can't remember it. his name. Was it? Did it, he- it- it seemed like um, uh, Javier Bardem's character, uh, he was a bit more religious than that other Fremen. Mm-hmm. And he, he had like this faith when he realized who Lady Jessica was and what she's capable of. He's like, oh, okay, I'm going to back down. Like, I know who you are. Uh, but this other Fremen doesn't hold those beliefs. And... Yeah he took offense to that. He's like, what? You let this woman beat you. You're supposed to be my leader. Like, fuck you. I'll be the leader. You know, yeah. I'll kill both of these fools and I'll take over. And so it gave me enough information, but I agree. There's a lot of scenes that I would love to have learned a bit more about, you know? Yeah. It's like that one picture. That's just like when everybody starts roasting you for no reason. <laughs> and it's like Mr. Krabs. Just kind of like, <laughs> just looking around, all like, what the hell's going on? It's, it's like that's just kind of how it felt. <laughs> it was just like, all right, these new people arrived. They're gonna come with us, and hey, hold on a fucking second. And you're like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> he just starts looking around because now we got a fight going on. He's yeah. about to lose like one of his best men. Yeah, Dude. I think uh, we're going to lose. I think we're going to get more context on the Fremen in the next film. That's what I figured. It's oh yeah. And that's why I said, like, a lot of my problem with the movie was just things seemed rushed, that I felt that that could have been um, a little more spaced or drawn out a little. Um, but again, it, I it, because it's a part one of a movie, it's kind of hard to judge it on that because, uh, you know, in this movie, that's how I felt. But in the overall story, it might be different. Right based on later context so that's i'm just kind of waiting for the whole story too but again as i've said from what came out loved it i gotta say i love uh how they introduced zendaya's character um and how they they took their time to not like i mean they kind of gave us a bait and switch i don't actually know who the zendaya person is but apparently a lot of people do and they love her and they were excited to see her in this movie. And I've said, seen that a lot of people are 
a little disappointed that she has all of like 10 minutes in the film. Um, but I love what they did with her character. I mean, they like built her up as this dream and this sort of like a key to this, this man's destiny. And then all of a sudden she just shows up behind him and she's like, I would have killed you. You know, I wouldn't have let you hurt my friends. <laughs> and she's just like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, her character in her intro was so badass and all the stuff with the little like desert mouse and, and things like that. Like there are a lot of tiny little seeds that they're planting at the end of this one that I, I really enjoyed. I, I like Zendaya, but she, it feels like they're kind of making her into the, into a typecast of a Michael Sarah. Cause she can play that kind of sarcastic girl who's, who's like, shy but silent and like kind of deadly underneath like really well so feels a little bit kind of typecast because she was that and homecoming and yeah you know i don't know about greatest showman but she's kind of always played that kind of sarcastic character and you're like she's great and greatest showman yeah you're like she's she's a good actress don't get me wrong but she's just starting to get typecasted a little Oh, I'm here for these. I mean, this is the first thing I think that I've seen her in, and I'm I'm down. She seems pretty cool. Oh yeah, definitely, man. Yeah. Uh, she was in the new Spider-Man's, and then uh, she was also in Greatest Showman. She's like a she's actually a Disney Channel kid. Really? Oh yeah, from the 2010s. It was this show called like Shake It Up, which was like these two girls from Chicago who were on like a show called shake it up. And, uh, it was her and, uh, Bella Thorne. Huh. So th- those two were on that show together when they were like 12 or 13. And when, uh, at my old place, Disney channel was put on quite a bit. So it's kind of how I, <laughs> how I know that. See, the first thing I ever saw her in was like those fucking Pantene pro V or whatever, like acne commercials. Oh yeah, yeah. So when they've cast her as Mar- er, not Mary Jane in the Spider-Man movies, I was like, "Why? Why are they casting some lady who's just done fucking acne commercials in this MCU movie?" <laughs> That's how good of an actress she is in that movie. I do enjoy her or in, in that movies. commercial. It was just very confusing. Yeah, twenty ten to twenty thirteen. So yeah, she was a Disney Channel kid. Until about, God, 2016, 2017, when they broke her out and they put her in Spider-Man Homecoming. <laughs> broke her out like she was in A fucking hell. Well, I mean, they were working for the mouse that young. But the, it's like getting rescued from the mouse by one of the mouse's cousins because it was Marvel. True, but Marvel has more of a more widespread appeal than Disney Channel, and a lot more autonomy from the mouse itself. That's true. It's probably not by choice. But yeah, like it's crazy because a uh, lot I think of Josh got muted because it looks oh. like he's trying to talk. I'm here. Oh. I was going to say it's crazy because a lot of the kids we're seeing have actually either been in like shitty things you could find on YouTube or are uh, uh, have been a part of Disney stuff. Like the main actor who played Paul, turns out that there are videos of him. He used to do uh, modded Xbox 360 controllers. 
Yeah, do custom paint jobs on YouTube and then sell them. Yep. Huh. And it's funny because he confirmed it, but he's like, yeah, I sold three. <laughs> My entire time doing that, I sold three. So those uh, those shitty things you see with like two people that have watched it or subscribed, you never know. They could be Oscar royalty one day. Yep. True. Which is very inspiring. My big, uh, I will say probably the thing I hate the most about this movie is Dr. Yue because they cut his whole storyline and only showed the end of it. Yeah, they definitely did. I'm wondering if uh, that creepy, like, Franken pet that the Baron had was actually his wife. Because he said they pull her apart like a doll. Yeah, it looked like a a bunch of human limbs amalgamated into like a spider or something. I love how kinky Jesus would know this. Oh, you know it. (laughs) As I was masturbating to that scene, (laughs) as I was masturbating to that scene, I realized that might be his wife. Well, yeah, because, like, I was thinking about uh, Dr. Yue's character, and I'm like, man, they really just, like, shot him out of a cannon. They didn't, like Lathan said, they didn't, like, set up what is his, where is his wife, where is his family. They didn't say anything. (laughs) Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, shit. But they did seed a little bit of lore um, with the symbol on his head, the symbol on his note. And um, the person that Lady Jessica chose to be the uh, her little like helper person was also like wearing the same markings on her forehead. So there's definitely something going on with UA's character, like he's part of a another organization that we'll learn about. But he did feel a bit rushed. So in the books, um, at he's he's the personal physician to the family mm-hmm. and uh, he's actually super close with Jessica and Paul. Like about uh, like from what I remember reading of that part of the book, um, like he was Paul and UA were as close as how as almost as close as how it showed uh, Paul and Duncan, Idaho. Such a dumb name. No, it's perfect. You gotta, you gotta love him, though. <laughs> I, I'm so sad that he fucking died so quick. I, I had the feeling, man, like Jason Momoa's gone. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Poor little guy. Poor little Yeah, there was a whole uh, story arc about a trick. Like, they were trying to figure out. Um, they knew they had a traitor. Um, but they didn't realize who it is, who it was, because uh, uh, Josh Brolin's character and uh, Jason Momoa's characters seem to think it's Jessica who's the traitor. Hmm. Really? I mean, she did. Did she take Paul away for a certain time during his training? Or did she go away for a certain amount of time? 
because I remember Lido, uh, she was about to tell Lido about Paul, something about him, I guess, that he's this, like, messiah or whatever. But Paul, uh, Lido was like, no, I don't want to hear it. Ever since you, um, I don't know, ever since you've been training him or something like that, or ever since he met with the, the mother, that's what it was, uh, he's been distracted. And so I feel like there's some sort of separate history between Paul, Jessica, and Lido. Like, they weren't always together. Oh, no, they were. The big drama in their relationship was that uh, basically, uh, as it's mentioned in the film, Lido actually never married Jessica. He's a concubine. And that was because Lido needed to at least make the appearance that he was still available to be able to be married to another loyal house. So that way they would keep, uh, keep up diplomatic ties with him. Okay. Fair. I, I wanted to say too, with the Baron, I, I really hope somebody makes an edit where it's like Cartman's voice as he goes, does he like gets up? Yeah, he is very hard. <laughs> there were times like when he was standing up, it reminded me of the beefcake episode. <laughs> beefcake. Beefcake. <laughs> so is is that man's floating or does he have like ridiculous slender man legs whenever he gets up? Uh it's technically suspenders. He has the, like, machinery attached to his spine that is apparently a levitational device. Yeah. I just thought he had a robot spine. All right, that's good to know. Yeah, and he's he's under some sort of, like, curse, or he's sick, or there's something wrong with him, for sure. He'd be great at sports, though, if you could just adjust your height whenever you needed like, watch this sick dunk. Skadoosh. <laughs> it's just end one, and then he, like, gets the SpongeBob legs and fucking starts jumping over everybody. <laughs> this, Mr. Tall, Dark, and Handsome. I do love that scene where he kills Dr. Yue. How uh, he just gets up, just levitates up, and he's just like levitating towards him, and his feet are dragging along the table. He's just the complete embodiment of like gluttony, you know, and sloth, and just disgust. He, everything they did with him is so gross, and I love it. So I was going to say, maybe it's just me, but partially feels like there might be like a a rated r cut or something because uh, all the stuff they did it cut away at the last second and it's it's pg-13 but if you know when it finally comes to to blu-ray and everything like i wonder if there's going to be like an unrated cut or an r-rated cut man if it wasn't so big budget i guarantee you this would have been a rated r movie for sure i think if Blade Runner 2049 would have been uh, better at the box office. It would have been rated R. Oh, yeah. Can we just talk for a moment about Denis Villeneuve and how 
man, just like he for me, he's new wave sci-fi, you know, like he's ushering us into a new era of sci-fi. Uh, he and um, the director of Ex Machina and uh, Annihilation and all that. Oh, yeah. Alex Garland. Yes. But I mean, Arrival was fantastic. Blade Runner, amazing. I that's a whole other story. But I'll argue that his Blade Runner I liked more than the original. Um, An Enemy, yeah. you, you showed me Enemy like that fucking movie still blows me away. Oh, Enemy is very cerebral. I love that film, and still don't even fully understand it. And I've seen it like five times. And uh, Prisoners as well. I haven't seen Sicario. You said that one was pretty good, right? Sicario's the first fantastic. Sicario is amazing. Second one sucks, but the first one is great. Yeah. The Don't ever see the Josh second. Roland. You see Sicario, you just see the first one, that's all. <laughs> okay. What if I want to watch Day of the Soldado? Don't. You put it on the background, go take a walk, and then there you watched it. I'm going to watch Day of the Soldado right now. It is not good. It is not good at all. I think you're just drinking that haterade, man. I am because it's a shitty movie. (laughs) I'm chugging it because it's so bad. (laughs) A little thirsty, are you? Imagine if if Dune went from this and then the next movie is like it's Star Wars Episode 1. That's how much of a drop there is from Sicario 1 to 2. Imagine if they released this as part one, and then they let it go to, like, the um, the Spartans, like, spoof movie guys to create the next one. Oh, God. That's exactly it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's better than that. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Now, hold on. From three of the five producers of Scary Movie comes Dune Part 2. From guys in theaters this fall. For some reason, that director of uh, Movie 42 has everybody by the balls once again, (laughs) and he's in control of Dune Part (laughs) 2. Dune is D-O-O-N. That sounds like a war crime, Josh. Yeah, as I was saying it, I was like, oh, God, this feels gross. Dune, Dune is D O O N and it has like a bra over the O's. <laughs> it's movies. Oh. Marcelo, you just signed a five picture contract on that one line alone. <laughs> and part part one, it's a uh, <laughs> over the O. It's it's a uh, eye patch. <laughs> like wow, we're in for a great movie. <laughs> it's my Dune. <laughs> anyway, why are you being serious? A question for the law master. Sure. How old is Paul supposed to be in Dune? 14 or 15? I understand why they cast Timothy Chalamet now, or however you pronounce the man's name. Maybe 16, but I'm leaning towards 15. That guy is fucking beautiful, by the way. I, I don't is. know if anybody has said that, but like, what the hell? Damn, that dude's almost old too. He's only like four years younger than me. How old he's, is he? Uh, he was born in '95, so he's like 25, maybe 26. God, he's five years younger than me. He's that is a baby face. I, uh, I'm gonna look like the fucking crypt keeper, and he's gonna look like he's in his twenties. 
bastard. Yeah, when they found him, he was just bathing in a pool of milk that he had been in his entire life. <laughs> this is where I paint my Xbox controllers and stay young. <laughs> what he? Why is he talking like that? He's from, uh, isn't he? I think he's from New York. Yeah, he's from he's New York. He's like 3,000 years old, and he's just been in that fucking milk bath the entire time. I live in France, New York. So that's, I mean, that's all I got in this movie, guys. I don't know if you have anything else to add. I think I covered everything. Yeah, there's not much more. Oh, I did. Yeah, before we end, I definitely want to give it up to Hans Zimmer. I mean, it's kind of hard. It's easy to overlook Hans Zimmer because he always brings his A game, you know. But this movie, like, especially the vocal performance in some of these tracks, it's just otherworldly, like completely otherworldly. I love it. One of the best scores he's done in a while. Where I would say one of a, the his best scores in his career for sure. Where does that man get the energy? I'm looking to see like how many he does a year because I feel like I see him at least every year on something. Could you imagine how different this movie would be with the John Williams score? Uh, maybe I don't know. Not not better or worse, I guess. I feel like a John Williams score would totally change the entire tone of the movie. Oh, wow. Okay. So this dude uh, does good stuff and bad stuff, obviously. Uh, He's done uh, Rings, the sequel to The Ring. I'm just reading the last four years for a reason. Uh, Through the Wormhole, which was a TV series documentary. Blade Runner 2049, synth programming. Uh, The show called Genius, which he was a composer and did the main title theme. Uh, FIFA 19. Additional music composed. Bass Boys, a TV series where he did music. Pagan Peak, music producer. Great Bear Rainforest IMAX documentary short uh, composer, theme music. Looking Up, music supervisor, special thanks. Apollo, Mission to the Moon, uh, Missions to the Moon documentary, score producer. The Lion King remake, executive music producer. Seven Worlds, One Planet, TV miniseries doc where he was score producer, song composer, and song performer. Uh, the Rhythm Section, where he was executive music producer. SpongeBob Movie, Synthesizer Programming. Uh, Freshy Canal Rap Battles, where he was did the original theme for one episode. Wonder Woman 1984, score producer, synthesizer programmer, additional photography. Dune, music producer and synthesizer programmer. Uh, also the Army of Thieves movie that's coming out, uh, which is a prequel to Army of the Dead. And on top of all that, he was the score producer for 92 episodes in the past four years of The Simpsons. Huh. This man, does he find the time. Good things and some terrible things. Yeah, and that was the last. That's just the last four years. Where does he find the time? Mm-hmm. Especially with FIFA 19, you'd think that EA would want to like get in on that, where they'd be like, "We'll, we'll give you, you give us five dollars, we'll give you another Hans Zimmer score." Five dollars. Uh, I need about tree fitty. <laughs> Goddamn rock and ball try and giving you no tree fitty. As for composer, holy shit, there's more. <laughs> Boss baby, 
Minecraft short, Dunkirk, another Minecraft short, uh, The Road of Love, Blade Runner 2049, Hans Zimmer live in Prague, Blue Planet 2, and this is what he's a composer on, Uh, some short movie, Believer, documentary short, short film, another short film, Widows, X-Men Dark Phoenix, Lion King, a lot of shorts, uh, Spongebob movie where he did the music, Enter the World of Hans Zimmer, which is a short... Jesus, fuck. Christ. This guy works more than Woody Allen. Three, oh. four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine things in 2020. Six things in 2021. All the things. Yeah, for real, man. It looks like 2011 was probably his biggest year because he worked on... Inception? Eight, nine. 13 things in the year in in 2011 and the, and it's all movies it's pretty much almost all movies except for like a few are like shorts all right but, i have to imagine that hans zimmer just has a basement full of eastern music european music savants just chained up cranking out music 24 <laughs> 7 we were both going to chained up <laughs> I, I wouldn't doubt that, and he whips them like sled dogs. Compose <laughs> my music. <laughs> more bass, more bass. <laughs> it's the ball. Is what they come for. <laughs> There's a movie about dreams. You do not have any down here. Just sing your heart out. <laughs> Oh, dude, dreams. Yeah, that's actually uh, something that Denis Villeneuve added to the beginning of the film. Let me see if I can go to the beginning and see what exactly it is. Because it's something that's not in the book. And most everything else is pretty similar to the book, I suppose. Uh, But yeah, I guess... Denis Villeneuve wrote, Dreams are messages from the deep. And he put that before everything on the film, before the opening credits, the uh, studio credits, and all of that. <laughs> it was like uh, the new Halloween Kills movie with Evil Never Dies. <laughs> he just says it tonight. Yeah, Evil Dies Tonight. That's what it was. Evil Dies Tonight. <laughs> he says it 15 times. I wrote this, guys. Uh, by the way, guys. Uh, dreams are hidden message for messages from the deep. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we ended like every every dreams day. Dreams are hidden messages from the deep. Dreams yeah. are hidden messages from the deep. <laughs> yeah. That game. Reading that when it came up in the theater, I was like, "Oh God, am I am I watching a fucking Destiny movie right now?" <laughs> <laughs> the battle armor does look like a bunch of NPCs from like a Destiny style game. Yeah. Denis Villeneuve presents a film by Denis Villeneuve, <laughs> written and directed by Denis Villeneuve. It's literally his whole his whole thing. Produced by Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody's everybody else in the film like pops up like flash second like a strobe light, <laughs> and the rest. <laughs> But yeah, we didn't really talk about like the CGI and the sandworms and the spice, all of that stuff. I mean, this movie might I have think... some of the best CGI I've ever seen in it. Uh, yeah, I do agree with that. 
It uses CGI where it can't use practical effects. Right. But they also don't spare any money, and they're like, we need this to look as humanly real as possible. Like the uh, the spice that's in the film, I love the way it looks. Like it's kind of like uh, oh, yeah. um, most films would do, like Christmas lights during the holiday season. I was just gonna say the the way they open this film with just the rolling sands <laughs> and the flecks of spice just you know flickering yeah. across screen with Zendaya sort of narrating. Like, oh man, no. They, for me, they couldn't have opened up more interesting than that. You know, it's just such a beautiful shot. And all the shots of the spice where they <laughs> zoom in on these dust particles, it's fantastic. It'd have been great if, like, you zoom in and there's fucking Denis Villeneuve's name all over, like, every single spice. You know how in The Lion King, when he plops down in the dust, it smells sex in the air? Well, the spice smells Denis Villeneuve in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, each fleck of dust is a clip art photo of Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> Legends say if you look up at night, you can see the creator. <laughs> it's just Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> just him smiling. <laughs> Young Simba. <laughs> I want to. Paul Atreides, remember who you are. <laughs> this you is are my son and the one true king. <laughs> but instead of, of like bearded instead of like bearded Oscar Isaac and the fucking stars, it's him dressed as Apocalypse in X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not this movie. <laughs> He's Paul just they show <laughs> Oscar Isaac just wanting to keep fuck the machines. <laughs> like in uh, Ex Machina. <laughs> Which, if nobody okay. has seen, I highly recommend. Do you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you not seen that one, Lathan? I have not. I have oh, not dude. Oh, my God, guys. You guys are... That's one you yeah. need to see. That is a movie. Like... There's a lot. If you like Dune and you then you do like that whole you got to really think about sci-fi because nothing really happens, but it's all character based. Then yeah, you'll 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 love Ex Machina. Hmm. Yeah, and I'd say so far that's my favorite Oscar Isaac performance from what I've seen. I mean, he gets the most screen time out of all the films that I've seen him in in that movie and the way that he slowly builds his character and reveals his true nature fucking brilliant and like very unsettling you know that whole movie one of the best movies about AI ever made I think my favorite Oscar Isaac performance is as um, in the Adams Family he does make a good Gomez he does. Uh, I didn't see that one. He plays Gomez. That's sick. Yeah, yeah they the have... animated films. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, wow. That was such a steep <laughs> drop. I was waiting for it. <laughs> hey, I like the animated so, film. That's so I sick. Seen the second yeah. one yet. I got to see that immediately. Oh, it's animated. Oh. I mean, they could use them for a live action. I mean, the original one was fucking Raul Julia. Oh, yeah. No, they had pitch perfect things. It's just with those movies there. I actually saw the second one recently, and uh, 
not good. It's it's all right. It's just more of the first one. It's like oh. if you like the first one, you like it. But it's like they have such good comic actors and they have good comic scenes, but they don't let it play out. It's kind of like New Simpsons, where they oh, have no. they have jokes set up, but they don't let them breathe. Or like as soon as they hit a funny note, they like cut away immediately. It's really weird. And moving on to the next thing. Yeah, it's it's I can't explain it. It's really weird. It's not like how other movies, even in like any comedy, will like give it a little time to breathe because that's the point of the comedic timing. It's just like there was one point in there where uh, Fester was talking about eating placenta in the hospital and it's finally a funny joke. But then it's just like there's just something new happening on screen, which I get you're supposed to do for kids. But in in a Pixar movie, when there's something that's kind of funny that's happening, they either keep going with the wackiness of it or they let the scene breathe a second. I'm just more concerned there's a uh, joke in a kid's movie about eating a placenta. Uh, <laughs> dude, it caught me off guard. It was, uh, yeah, it was just Uncle Fester talking about how he was in the, uh, he was, he, they were there for the birth of Wednesday. And he was, he was just talking about, oh, and I had some of the pudding that was in there. And he's like, and I went to go look for the thing and wash my hands. And then he ends up switching all the babies in the, in the delivery room. <laughs> he just said that for some reason he started juggling all the babies and then just starts mixing them all up. <laughs> it's fucking stupid. And then he just put them back and went to go wash his hands. Finally. <laughs> so fucking dumb. What the fuck? It's so, like I said, they have such good setups for stuff, but they don't let it breathe. What the fuck? Now I want to watch the Adams family, the old live action <laughs> film. Not the cartoon. Yeah, with uh, Raul Julia. Yeah, those movies are great. And Christina yeah. Ricci. Don't forget her. She was awesome. Mm-hmm. And Christopher Lloyd as Fester. Well, always. I watched uh, Sleepy Hollow last night with Christina Ricci in it, and she's dude. Sleepy Hollow is probably my favorite Tim Burton flick, to be honest. Ooh. I I would say mine is Ed Wood, or Ed Wood or Big Big Fish, because God, Big Fish, the, ugh, that's a great movie. Oh, I love Big Fish. I always I always I forget Big Ed Fish Wood. one of his. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, because it doesn't it it is it does feel like him when you watch it, but it kind of doesn't. Like I don't know how to put it like any better like that. Yeah. I like his version of Sweeney Todd. That is a good movie. Do you think it's just mm. because uh, Johnny Depp isn't in it? You know, that could be it, but also too, like, it has the look of like, um, of like an indie, any indie films that came out at the time, mm-hmm. like the trailer and the, the actual poster, like they, they, they leave something to be desired for a Tim Burton movie. But when you watch the movie, you're like, this is Tim Burton. Hail Satan. What, what happened to that guy? Why doesn't he do more good movies? Who, Satan? What, what is Tim he Burton? even doing anymore? Probably jerking off. Probably making sweet, sweet love to his beautiful wife. Oh, he I did. They no. broke up. Oh, he did Never the dumb. Mind. 
he did the Dumbo remake, which wasn't terrible. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. I never saw it. Oh yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't bad, man. It wasn't great, but uh, is is all right. Let's not forget Frank and Weenie. Frank and Weenie, that's true. Twenty twelve. Yeah, twenty nineteen was the last time he did something, and then before that, it was Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, which I did not see. Ooh, and then Big Eyes in 2014 for the Weinstein Company. It was, that was okay. It wasn't great. It was for the Weinstein Company. I see nothing wrong with the name Weinstein at all. Ew. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> no, he's doing a show called Wednesday, and Beetlejuice 2 was announced, it says. Does anybody even care at this point about Beetlejuice, though? It only if Michael uh, Ryder and um, Michael Keaton come back. Only. I, I really I have to. I'm sure. I think the only reason it's getting made now is because, for whatever reason, the god awful Broadway show is a a huge success. <laughs> Just because hipsters like things, that's why. Can I say Winona Ryder is someone who's not, I feel like, has not aged that much. She is still just amazing. She's yeah. pretty good, too. Pretty, pretty cool actress. She's fantastic, especially in that their first season of Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Smoking every fucking cigarette under the sun, shaking while she holds anything. Mm-hmm. Excellent. She's the human embodiment of a chihuahua in that first season. <laughs> it was just basically her from Girl Interrupted having a kid. It's basically my anxiety on the big screen. <laughs> <laughs> You're always shaking like a chihuahua? Inside. That makes sense. Aren't we all? It's the personification of my alcoholism. Mm. <laughs> I think that that's just liver disease. <laughs> uh, you're probably right. <laughs> like uh, always sunny when they get uh, <laughs> when they feel sick and they think they have the flu, but it's, <laughs> it's liver failure. Yeah, it's just liver failure because they don't have enough alcohol in their system. <laughs> All right, I have to call it here, guys, because I do have to go get ready to go Coward. out tonight. You're all cowards. I'm just kidding. It was lovely. You want to do a three-hour show? We'll stay on. <laughs> well, Let's test the state's limits. Please. No, no, we can stop here. I, I want food because I'm a fat guy. Okay. So, uh, yeah. You want to close Dan- it out? <laughs> Dan- thanks for listening to Beers Bong's Battle Axes. Bye. Do space drugs. Deuces. For the kids. Don't forget to check out the uh, upcoming Wu Tang video game. Beers, bones, and battle axes. Battle axes. Beers, bones.